Vera Payne. AI has become a major part of the tech industry with companies such as IBM using it to replace their employees and other sectors considering doing the same thing. To date, no government has taken action against this technology, which raises the question, should we be concerned? Data protection law partner Will Richmond Coggin joins me to break down the regulations and policy issues with AI. Thanks for joining me, Will. Oh, you're welcome. So AI, it's such a big thing right now, such an explosion. But do you think that right now that AI is going to stick around? Definitely. Um, We've seen a paradigm shift in the way in which AI has penetrated both popular consciousness, but also the sort of commercial world. And uh, the, the really big change this time is that you haven't got AI, which people are sort of developing as an experiment to see what can be done. You've got AI with actual practical applications, which is being deployed in in real world environments and and to solve real world problems. Now, you said that companies were experimenting with it. I know personally, one of the weirdest things that I saw with this experimentation was McDonald's. McDonald's is having its own server and you get to talk to it for a minute and then maybe a real person will come on and help you. Um, Are there any other industries that it's Kind of strange to see AI in. Yeah, I think it's um, it's certainly a bit of a risk at the moment for companies that are in the sort of public service or, or um, customer service as their sort of main model uh, using AI because it's still a little unreliable, and you, you definitely have those risks that the AI is going to say something unexpected or um, produce an output which damages your brand. Um, and that's one thing if it's in an environment where people are tolerant of that sort of mistake, but but something where customers expect to be handled with a certain degree of courtesy, say, or to get correct answers first time to the problems that they're having. They probably don't want to feel like they're part of an experiment, and they certainly don't want to be insulted or, or offended. So I think that's probably one area that's surprising. The, the other is sort of at the other end of the spectrum, which is where You've got AI being used for really complex, um, difficult decision-making. For example, around um, in the UK, there was an AI tool that was deployed by a a local authority, so a a local government body, to determine whether or not uh, people that were receiving state benefits uh, were potentially fraudulent, so whether they were dishonestly claiming those. And the AI wrongly identified large numbers of people uh, as being high risk for, for fraud. And that resulted in them being accused wrongly and um, all sorts of unfortunate consequences on some of the most vulnerable people in society. So again, it was surprising to see that being rushed so quickly into an area that, that could have such profound adverse impacts. I actually find that to be really strange, and I'm glad you brought that up. This technology is may not be new, but it definitely is unreliable. I believe there's even a lawsuit that is currently out there. A radio host is uh, suing the creators of ChatGPT for misinformation and slander. And that's one of the biggest things about AI is that you don't know if this information is correct. And there are some people who are taking it for face value. Why put it out there? Yeah, I, I think there's something to be said for that. I think equally the people who are developing these tools would say, Putting it out into the public is an important stage in the process of testing it, 
um, amongst a much wider audience. But it does rely on people understanding what it is they're using. And ChatGPT is a really good example of something which it sounds very credible. You know, it can give very authoritative answers, but often those will be incorrect and they look right. And at face value, people might sort of take them seriously. But that's really problematic because really it's a tool that's designed to make convincing looking answers. It's not necessarily a tool that's designed to be accurate. And your radio host isn't the only example of people who've been caught out by that. In fact, in the UK, we are aware of one lawyer who used ChatGPT to write arguments for a case. And when he went in front of the judge, the judge discovered that the arguments, the, the cases that ChatGTP had identified were not real cases. They've been invented. It looked convincing, but it didn't stand up to even the most sort of simple scrutiny. With that being said, do you think regulation needs to start now or should we wait until AI is almost perfected? Definitely a variety of views on that. My own view is that regulation should already have been being thought about some time ago. And there are some piecemeal bits of regulation. Again, depends on where you are in the world. But for example, I know that in some US states, there are bits of regulation that deal with, for example, biometric processing, which is one of the things that AI can be used for and, and can be very uh, efficient at, but also has uh, all sorts of risks around misuse. The European uh, Union is looking to put together the first sort of comprehensive set of AI legislation, but they're finding it very difficult. And part of the reason for that is, as you say, because actually we don't really quite know the final shape of, of what AI will look like and all of the different ways in which it might be developed and used. So any legislation that's developed now runs the risk of, of only being able to provide an incomplete solution or, or protection against the sort of ways in which the technology can develop. That said, technology always develops faster than law. So uh, you've got to make a start because otherwise they're just going to be further and further behind. And in the end, we might be in a position where humans just can't keep pace at all and we end up having to ask AI to write the laws for us as well as uh, being the thing we're trying to police. I'm not sure I would trust them. I think it would be a little bit biased. No. <laughs> When it comes to the U.S., I always feel as if the United States is a bit behind when it comes to technology regulations or laws, and it's because we're slow to pass it. We have to go through all these checks and balances and everything takes forever. Do you think any country right now is like at the forefront of all these kind of technology advancements? In terms of the, in terms of the technology itself, I think there are a few different places where there are real sort of strides being made. One of those is in the US, and, and the reason for that is largely because there's, there's a lot of investment available there. You know, for example, ChatGPT itself, you know, has really taken off since Microsoft made their investment into OpenAI. And uh, you see uh, those big players, Facebook and Apple particularly, also getting really interested in, in AI. Google was a little bit slow off the scene, but, but they're also now putting serious money in, and, and you can see how quickly they start to make strides when those really massive investments are being made. In other places where legislation is perhaps a bit further advanced, so for example in Europe, a lot of that legislation is actually being used to ban particular types of AI. Well, that 
that might be safer, but it's going to stifle innovation in those areas because those developers will not want to investigate certain avenues if they think that something that they spend a lot of time and money uh, developing is actually going to be banned before they can bring it to market and, and deploy it. And then conversely, you've got other parts of the world which have probably a much lighter touch regulatory regime, but where the state is much more heavily involved in promoting the development of the technology. And the obvious place is China, where AI has been in use by the state for years in all sorts of ways, which uh, other countries might regard as problematic. But the reality is they've got an extremely large population and using AI in that way in the field has enabled them to actually get real, you know, effectively a real-world experimentation bed with hundreds of millions of uh, test subjects. That in itself has allowed their AI to come on leaps and bounds. But as I say, with some difficult ethical questions, which I think you know other countries uh, wouldn't want to necessarily <laughs> replicate that model. I know you have a lot of experience with data breaches and cyber incidents and along those lines. When it comes to AI, where do you think is going to be the biggest problem that is going to be in the foreseeable future using this technology? I think there's a couple of big risks. One of them is around AI's ability to produce very convincing um, replicas of human behavior, either speech or even face mapping, you know, um, so where, where you where you have someone appearing to be someone else through the use of technology to clone their facial features onto a different person. And that presents uh, opportunities for hackers who are trying to do more and more sophisticated sort of spear phishing attacks or something like that, or something where they want to impersonate a senior executive in a business, either to discredit the business or to be able to authorize uh, transactions or something of that sort. That's definitely one risk area. But also, I think it's not so much the AI itself as the fact that often you need to gather very, very large data sets in order to train the, the AI models. So, uh, for example, where you're trying to train a, a model to diagnose a health problem, underpinning that training is millions and millions of health records belonging to individuals, and all of those health records are in one place. They need to be accessible to the people that are developing the tools, and that presents a risk in itself that they can also be exposed to the wider world through an error or um, someone being tricked into, into opening up access. And that type of very sensitive information can suddenly find itself in the hands of people who are going to charge a ransom or they'll release it. You can only imagine if, for example, it was uh, people who had uh, HIV diagnosis or some, something else that they didn't necessarily want to disclose or some sort of mental health condition that they weren't ready to be open about. And uh, all of those records might be in the hands of people who were willing to extort them uh, to keep that information secret. So I think that's another you know, real risk area. It's so funny. I didn't even think of the security risks behind it because I was thinking of the surface things where AI music, mm. there's a whole genre now on YouTube where they create different AI music oh, yeah. from a whole different mm. person. And it sounds like it's wild. Kanye West is singing some of the, you know, weirdest songs out there. <laughs> and you have yeah. Taylor Swift singing songs she definitely shouldn't be singing. But it's not Taylor Swift. It's not Kanye West. 
and then you have yeah, deep well, fake and all this other stuff. But the security risk, my God, I didn't even think of you'll eventually have medical records attached to this stuff. And you just need one person to click on a phishing email and the whole thing is compromised. I think that's wild. Exactly. But I think you're right as well. And one of the cases that people are going to be watching quite carefully from the point of view of that issue around use of other people's intellectual property is a claim that's being brought by Getty Images at the moment. You may know that they hold the license to a lot of imagery that's used online. And so they are suing because they say that these AI tools that scrape online images in order to be able to generate you know, fresh artworks or things that look like other art styles or other creative content, that all of that has been taking and using images which are licensed to them. They've not been making any payments for that use. And Getty is suing not only on their own behalf, but also on behalf of all of the artists that, that they represent to try and sort of recover some value that's being derived by these AI tools for the, for the creatives who actually put that content onto the internet in the first place. So if that's successful, then I'm sure you'll see recording artists sort of queuing up to, to make the same sort of claims. When it comes to regulation and when it comes to the laws and policies for AI, should we be looking at these smaller battlegrounds and not the, the larger portion of it? I think we can't lose sight of the smaller battlegrounds because that's where, that's where people are being impacted today. And it's all very well to have very sort of high-level regulatory reform that's aimed at two or three years down the line. But in the meantime, people are coming up against problems with AI right now, and the existing legislative regime is not robust enough, and it wasn't really designed with, with these sorts of problems in mind to be able to give people a, a really good solution to those problems. So I think we are going to have to see people moving quite quickly to plug particular gaps, you know, and, and address particular problems as they arise. But at the same time, without losing sight of the big picture, which is that we do need an overall understanding of the ethical landscape in which AI is going to be developed. And some of these really big questions about, well, what sort of data can be collected and how can it be used to train tools? And can we use AI to detect emotion? And if we can do it, for the purposes of, let's say, someone playing a, an immersive video game in the metaverse, should governments also be able to use it to detect whether people are disposed you know, kindly towards them or whether they're uh, opposed to them in order to round up you know, possible dissenters before they actually make trouble? And you know, there's obviously dividing lines that, that have to be drawn between the uses that can be allowed to be made and, and those that can't. Those questions, you know, no one is bringing a, a lawsuit about today, but they're vitally important that, that we get the answers right and, and that we get them right before something really terrible happens on a, on a national or global scale. Yeah, I think getting ahead of it is the, the best course of action. But I'm just curious, how long do you really think it's going to take for any government around the world to actually impose something? How many years? I think we might see some legislation in the next 12 months probably in Europe, but, but maybe elsewhere. Um, that said, the European Parliament, who are currently debating uh, AI legislation, have got themselves into a bit of difficulty because they, they had a, a coalition of different parties who were all pulling in the same direction to try and get that through. 
and they've fallen out over the handling of, of biometric data. So at the moment, that's all stalled. I might be being massively ambitious, and it <laughs> might be you know much longer. At the same time, you know, we are definitely seeing, I think this year, a bit of a wake-up call at different levels. So there's recent discussion between the G7 countries about the importance of making sure that they were legislating around AI, and they've agreed a sort of common framework that they're all going to be working towards to try and put in place protections which are consistent across different countries. Uh, the UK had been talking about just allowing AI to develop uh, along commercial lines and then thinking about regulation a bit later. They've changed their mind. They've decided now they, they actually need to get on and, and legislate. And I think that's because everyone has had a bit of a wake-up call with things like ChatGPT, that the AI is here. It's not some sort of futuristic potential problem that everyone needs to think about in their spare time. It's, it's right here and now. And if, if there are going to be regulatory protections, those need to be in place before the technology landscape changes even further. Absolutely. Well, Will, thank you so much for joining me. I really appreciate you being here. And for those listening, thank where can they... Me. Where can people find more information about you? Well, I, I work with a law firm called Freeths in the UK, and um, you can find my profile on there, or I'm on LinkedIn at will-richmond-coggins. I'm also on Twitter uh, at tech, T-E-C-H, underscore litigator, L-I-T-I-G-8-0-O-R. Uh, it may be that you can put those uh, details in your show notes or something. But, but yeah, I'm always happy for people to contact me. I love talking about this stuff and uh, to talk through any problems that people are having if they find that helpful. This has been the Mason Vera Payne Show. Thanks for listening.